the Sideline Cut podcast, sponsored by Solar Choices of Limerick, making the energy requirements for your home, business or farm more affordable. Visit solarchoices.ie. Hello, welcome along to the Sideline Cut podcast with Solar Choices of Limerick. It's been a few weeks, but we're delighted to be back as we build up to this Saturday's All-Ireland Senior Hurling Semi-Final between Limerick and Galway at Croke Park. As always, it's myself, Luke Liddy, joined by former Limerick captain James Ryan. We have Limerick leader, news editor and former GEA correspondent Jerome O'Connell joining us a little bit later on as well. I'm anxious to find out uh, what way Jerome's feeling ahead of this massive game at Croke Park. It seems like a long time ago, but it was a Munster final win over Clare by a point that got us to this stage. Here's a reminder. Yeah, I suppose it worked great score, but he'd be disappointed from Limerick's on first error. Oh, two. yeah. In towards Aaron Gallant on there the edge of 14. Spins his man! Yes! Goal for Limerick! Aaron Gallant! 1-14 to 1-13. It was going to happen. You can't keep fouling the man from the well. And the well never runs dry. Yeah. 1-14 to 1-13. Gallant moving one way, moving another. Up over the shoulder. Can't get close to him. Over from Aaron Galan. 116 to 114. He is poetry in most. Yeah, Keen Nolan. You can tell by Keen Nolan's body language even. He doesn't know what to do. From this clear press away comes Kyle Hayes. Flicks it towards Adam English. English has plenty of space. Beautiful striker. The ball normally. Has he put it over the bar? Yes, he has. A huge score for Limerick. A huge score for Adam English. 120 to 116. What a puck out of this. If he gets it into his hand, he dropped it. Aaron Galan tries to let the ball beat him in the mat. Hinty's hand can't get it up. Here comes English. He's chopped down on. Turn around, Colin. O'Neill have loads of space Carl O'Neill over the shoulder over the bar and it's 121 to 119 what a score by Carl O'Neill yeah but there's the difference uh, Carl O'Neill's chance wasn't even as easy as we see four minutes of injury time to come there's still only two points in the crowd Higgins after intercepting the ball yeah. across the halfway line he comes tripped pushed fouled referee says no no free we play on care in possession Paul Flanagan out the far side towards Conlon gives it towards Kelly if Kelly gets the flick in Limerick are in trouble Clare on the far side takes the shot on and has it gone over the bar it has gone over the bar and it's Clare 121 Limerick 122 one between them yeah, can you make it up they're not going away and there's only a minute gone there and we've seen two points in play so I'll just tell you three minutes left 122 to 121 he's saying it was wide but there's people on the pitch they're going to have to get them off oh my god I've never seen anything like this before all the people have to realise now the game isn't over and again what does the referee do here now because the clock is ticking there's He's no fans on play. the pitch anymore here comes the puck out from Quilligan referee is playing on of course Dan Morrissey the ball's in the hand of Dimmer Burns Burns gets the hand pass away what's the referee doing Tony oh. Kelly barreled out of it oh by Peter Casey God. and the referee says play on the ball's on the ground the clock is over the referee's still watching on Care on the ground don't lose possession English has it Limerick not fouling the player ends up on the ground the referee no, no, no. blows the final whistle and Limerick are monster <laughs> champions five times in a row well, Dan O'Sullivan definitely enjoyed that, Jim Bob. Uh, did you enjoy it? Yeah, look, I think I'm uh, I'm going to have to get a bit more excitable. And uh, I thought I was excited the day the match was on, but uh, uh, Dan definitely uh, overtook and won that um, competition. But uh, no, uh, unbelievable game. Uh, even just to listen back in it, um, you just the excitement was there for everyone to see. Um, and it's amazing. Everyone, everyone was kind of saying maybe after the match that that the Munster final this year wasn't as good as last year's one but last year's one just it was actually an unbelievable game of hurling as well as having everything but this year's one was just so tense and the fact that Clare probably should have won a free at the end but the fact Limerick should have won a load of frees and 
I, I honestly do think we're not biased where the ref was a small bit harsh in the first half and things and uh, I suppose the decisions weighed themselves out like but uh, just to finish and uh, the the atmosphere that wasn't even on that clip the atmosphere after the Munster final Luke was just unbelievable the music the crowd we all probably saw Tom Morrissey been interviewed and he, above and, and, and the fans above singing up to him and it just the game had just everything and the fact that it was at home we won the Munster final um it feels like a long time ago, but uh, the memory's still there, but the memory feels like a long time ago now that we're facing into Saturday. But uh, yeah, unbelievable occasion, unbelievable match. And I think it'll go down as one of the matches that people will always remember nearly as much as an All-Ireland final because, uh, first of all, the fact there was a couple of COVID All-Irelands, people weren't there. Um, the atmosphere, the sun, the stadium, the fact it was clear, just everything. The game had everything. And uh, look, we're just happy that we came out the right side of it and unlucky for Clare. Yeah, no, Claire, in fairness, they'll feel this. Uh, maybe they left it behind them, Jim Bob. In terms of what Limerick take out of that game, and obviously they've had the the three, four weeks now to, to prepare for, for this All-Ireland semi-final against Galway, I think something we definitely saw from Limerick was that will to win, wasn't it? That battle-hardened kind of side of them coming out, particularly in the second half, turning over ball, getting the block downs. You really saw that intensity from Limerick. Yeah, um, we said it on commentary that day as well, Luke, the third quarter, uh, well, I suppose we all kind of gone very stat based now we break the game down into quarters or eights with it but, but that third quarter the, the first half of the second half was just um, it was where Limerick turned on and I'd say if you look back over a lot of Limerick games over the last couple of years they, they, they've always been very strong in that third quarter and I do actually put it down to uh, the team knowing their job or game plan or knowing different game plans Obviously, the coach, Paul Canark, and John Kiley saying a couple of things to the team. They're just slightly tweaking things and they're coming out in that third quarter. The fact that we're even playing Galway out uh, the weekend, I remember there in um, one of the COVID alarms, I remember doing the commentary anyway in the semi final where we just pulled away from Galway at the end. But Galway were actually on top in that first half. And the second half at the start, you could just see that Limerick talked at half time they slightly changed their plan they stopped actually going direct they kind of pl- played ball a bit with a bit more wit um, they kind of had our half back line just spread out and played with a bit more wit and, and it just caused all kinds of problems for Galway and the first half Galway actually threw something different at Limerick a couple of years ago where they played Parag Mannion as a, as a kind of a sweeper but stayed in the wing back position and Limerick just kind of went in had a little bit of chat how can we counteract this so I think they're very very good in that third quarter because of what goes on at half time I, I don't think we give them enough credit and the other thing I suppose we, we need to talk about and we don't give them enough credit even though it's a kind of a, a negative thing towards the players and that is the cutthroat um, nature of picking the team um, I was a bit shocked not that I don't think again nothing against David Reedy Graham McKay obviously two players definitely good enough to be on but I just didn't see that coming I thought it was a slight bit of a, a curveball and apparently the two lads were absolutely flying the training and they brought it to the pitch but uh, it was very harsh and Colin O'Neill maybe not been on after playing a couple of good games and, and things like that and you you wouldn't think there was going to be ch- two changes up in the forwards with David Reedy and, and Graham not being on when Keane Lynch was injured but uh, I suppose David Reedy was the standout player above and the forwards he set up Aaron Glenn's goal and chipped in with a great score after half time there as well and had a great game in, in general so again we have to give the management team a, a bit of credit that uh, it's not an, we always say it's an easy team to pick given the standard but it's not an easy team to pick given that you've about 20 players for 15 positions even with your injuries and there's no doubt about it. if you hear Dave Reed and Graham are going well at training and, and they get the nod you can imagine the cutthroat nature of the players in the field of training and that's what you want but there's some tough calls that had to be made there before months final and again some tough calls to be made on Saturday It's so different nowadays I suppose Jim Bob with the amount of games and the round robin and preliminary quarter finals quarter finals like 
the the panel game has changed completely, hasn't it? In like you're not it's not one and done or one in a back door draw and you could be done for the summer. You do need these these large panels and I think that obviously with more games comes more training and longer pre seasons. You see a lot more of these players and, and John Kiley at this stage knows exactly what these players are going to give him and you have to reward them if they're if they're going well in training. You can't ignore them and, and peg them as, as finishers as, as some people say. Yeah, that's true and and I suppose like Graham was nearly doing that role this year and, and Dave Reedy in fairness there were players that get this name as finishers where they come on the last 20 minutes and cause wreck and great speed and get on the ball be active and do things like that but but look, as you said there, you summed it up brilliantly. There's more matches, there's more training, there's more hours going per week. Um, I think players now that are playing into county, in any county, not just Limerick, uh, they're effectively giving up their 20s to a lot of degree. To, it's very hard to start your own business, to have children. It's even hard to hold down a job. Time, the hours to go into it. So on top of that, when players all over the country are given this kind of time and effort, they expect to be rewarded that if they're doing everything right with game time. And this this is a problem every management team has all over the country in hurling football, ladies football, camogie, whatever it is, that the commitment's getting more so people expect maybe more opportunities. Well, from a player's point of view, they probably expect more opportunities, but you have to earn that. But then when they feel they have it earned and the manager's job is to try and keep all these egos or personalities in tune and keep them all happy, which is a very, very hard thing to do. But... As you said, with the more games, and it's 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 a hard thing to keep a panel happy, and maybe that's why you see so many changes going on. And I don't know will players in a couple of years' time play for as long, given that they're putting more time into it. But at the moment, look, we're on about the Limerick team here. Um, they're all putting in unbelievable effort, and in fairness, I think this is the first year we've seen the most players being tried out in the league. And as you say, players are coming on to finish it. And I think a lot of this as well. It's not just amateur sports. I think we've seen it from the rugby that nearly in every international rugby game now you see the two props being taken off after 50 minutes of an 80 minute game or you could see a winger being taken off for no apparent reason only he, his numbers mightn't be good so it's very stats based and done on energy levels and GPS can tell all this as well so I suppose that's the one advantage you have from a management point of view is that the squad, the panel in most games now that we've played um, nearly every team against us and nearly Limerick have used their five, six subs and brought them all on by the end of the game. So at least that's one advantage that you do. Teams are playing more players in, in the round of the 70 minutes. I've heard it a lot that this is where the real hurling begins in the All-Ireland semi-final stages. I don't know if the, if the Munster teams would agree with that, Jim Bob, but just the championship as a whole, obviously Munster was hugely competitive. I mean, there was a, a point there on the last day where Limerick could have gone out, then Tip could have gone out, Cork could have gone through. Limerick ended up obviously in the Munster final. You went on to the, the preliminary quarters, then they were both whitewashes and the quarterfinals weren't great either. So overall, has it been a, a fantastic championship? Obviously Leinster, you had a couple of big results there, but I suppose it was saved mostly for the final in Leinster, wasn't it? Which was a cracking game. Yeah, um, I, look, I, I'm, I'm all for this new championship format. I think the old format was very, uh, as you say, cutthroat one game and you could have been out in the provincial series and then one match in the All-Ireland series and you could have been out. Uh, it was even more cutthroat back in the 90s, you lose one match and you're gone. So, no, the new championship format is brilliant, more games. Um, I even make the point to uh, spectators, I don't know, I'm sure they all felt the same, that there was a chance that Limerick mightn't have been in the Munster final. We saw the scramble for tickets for the Munster final. I actually think if Clare and Tipperary were in the Munster final in the Gaelic rounds, I'd have been very tempted to go to the final because we all invested into this 
Munster Provincial Championship um, and the fact you're there at every match and you're watching uh, all the other teams play and you're interested I think I think for the next couple of years the Munster final is going to be a sellout no matter who's in it because you, you, you followed it all the way through and you just like to go to the final but but then you're talking about the, the quarterfinals and there's no doubt about it you can't uh, go away from the fact or, or shrug the fact that uh, they were poor. They were poor and standing the whole lot. And I think if anybody who watches sport, uh, in any sport, whether it be American sports, whether it be World Cup finals, whatever it is, you often see when the first round of proper cutthroat knockout happens, the standard can often drop. And I don't know, is that a psychological thing, tension between players, management getting excited, everybody knows it's do or die at that moment. But it was definitely, had dropped... Uh, a peg or two compared to what we were seeing in the Munster Championship. The games effectively weren't even that close or tight. Um, Dublin will be very, very disappointed. Um, like Dublin were a team that drew with Galway in their last match. They were very dangerous opponents. Um, Clare would have been quite nervous of that, given the fact that they lost the Munster final. Can often lose lose momentum within the team and the squad you can often be down and Dublin were after a good result against Galway coming strong they were after Bear going poor enough in the first rounds of the championship where they only drew with Antrim and they would have been disappointed they thought they maybe were a couple of points ahead of them and they seemed to be getting better every game and they completely flopped um, I don't know where Dublin are going forward for next year where they actually are because Clare looked an awful lot better than them but then everybody was saying the Munster teams were so far ahead the Linster teams did that game go to form and then obviously the, the Tipperary Galway game I was really looking forward to that. I said this is going to be uh, better than the Munster Championship and the whole lot and I think everybody around the country who was a neutral just looking forward to an unbelievable game of hurling and we know that Tipperary and Galway gave us a couple of them in a couple of semi-finals lately were games for the ages but it was the complete opposite to be honest it, it kind of just as I say t- players seem nervous Tipperary never got to the, the height of it and, and then people are saying I think it's a very good point they conceded three eighteen against Offaly, but did Tipperary ever recover from the Waterford result, or how how good were they as the year went on? In the fact that they left Waterford beat them, and Waterford had nothing to play for, they really slipped up in that game, and didn't they just lost momentum after that? But um, not a championship as a whole. The, I think the Munster championship, and in fairness, the Leinster final as well. To give it a, to give it credit, I think them games have been unbelievable. I think it's the best championship so far. But then again, we have the most skillful players ever playing the game. We've the most strength and condition player we've ever seen. We probably have the most professional managements we've ever seen. We've stats, we've nutritionists, we've psychologists. So with all them things in place, um, you're going to see a better standard of game in, in general. And I think it's only, I still think the, I still think it's getting higher and higher each year. So um, no, unbelievable championship look, to be honest. Yeah, and I suppose just looking at that quarter-final, Jim Bob, involving Galway, because they did come out by two points uh, against Tipperary, but probably deserved to win that game by more. I know there was a, a late goal, and just looking at the, the Galway performance, obviously Cahill Mannion, his kind of deep role has been a real talking point. He's like that quarterback. I think every team now has that kind of quarterback that they like to, to pull the strings. Dahi Burke had another good game at centre-back. You had, obviously, Connor Whelan, who's shown hurler of the year form a lot of people are saying and Tom Monaghan as well I think in the in the half forward line such an economical forward I mean he can set up scores I think he got three points from playing that one they certainly do have the names there to to cause Limerick problems and probably should have beaten Tipperary by maybe five or six points uh, yeah I'd even go again Luke to be honest Tipperary would have been very disappointed with the way they performed um Actually, Tipperary are a bit like Dublin. Even talking to a couple of Tipperary fans, I'm on the border there. Like, 
like maybe we're all looking into it too much but like if you look at Tipperary against Waterford obviously they gave awfully a big beating but they conceded a lot as well and then they performed like that against Galway I'd actually say maybe I'm being a bit irrealistic here or whatever but I actually think Galway could have won that game 10-12 points easily thought Galway got very sloppy as well I don't know but but yeah um as you say about uh, the Galway team, um, they've loads of names. Um, we know how good they are. I actually think the focus is gone off the Galway team. I think everybody's talking about how bad Tipperary were and in their sense, Galway only beat them by two points. I didn't think the scoreline reflected the game at all. I thought Galway played well, but they didn't play well for the whole 70 minutes. I think Galway, I think Henry Sheffield and his management team would be very happy with the way they're coming into this game. Um, now, they have a couple of question marks over certain players. Um, I don't know, was he carrying a knock or was he overtrained or whatever, but Grove McInerney and the full back line in general looked a bit shaky. Our full forward line at the moment are, are red hot. They're hitting the well. So will there be a change or two there? Will Dahi Burke go back to full back and Grub McInerney back out to centre? Dahi Burke played well at centre back, but does he need to go back full? I'd Look, Galway have a couple of question marks, but I think our focus is completely on how bad Tipperary were and we're not looking at Galway at all, giving them enough credit. Um, and again, there's a bit of battle for places there as well. You have Flynn on the bench um, and you have a couple of other lads there coming on and they're mad to get a spot. Um, I think he's out now, Flynn, with a hamstring. Okay, so he's out, but they still have a couple of players there. Um, Nyland's a good free taker. They need more from him more from him from play. Like So the reason I'm saying that I'd like to be in, in Galway's position coming on playing this Limerick team is there's nothing better than being over a team and a lot of players and playing the last day underperformed. I keep saying this, that any player that wants to make it and achieve and be the best at what they do, they want to perform consistently in every game. So you don't have to say much to a player that's got a competitive nature, that wants to be that Michael Jordan, that New Zealand, that Barcelona, whatever, maybe the Limerick team at the moment and the players, to play consistently. And when you underperform, all you want to do is play the next match as quick as you can. You want to get things right. And Galway have an awful lot more things to work on than Limerick coming from a Munster final win. So they're going to be exceptionally dangerous. Um, how much we used to talk about this a lot, but I think the championship used to be more bro- broken up with five games and six games. You get into a Munster final, you have a five-week break. But how much will that game stand to them playing Tipperary? Did they get the dirty diesel out of the system? As in, they lost, we have to remember, they lost the Linster final as well. They didn't they had a very formidable match to play against the the team that finished third in Munster so now they're expecting Tipperary to be a lot better but did they get that kind of game out of their system where they could have been lagging a bit of momentum and have they got back up on the horse and said look we're after beating Tipperary we're back in winning ways now let's keep this winning's habit that kind of talk coming into the Limerick game and again look like we've said on numerous times in this pod or you've, you hear it all over the place every team needs to they mightn't be able, but every team needs to raise the bar against a team going for four All-Irelands in a row, one of the best teams we've ever seen, to perform quite well. They're after winning Munster, and we saw the way the Munster Championship and the, and the level of it. So, uh, to be honest, Henry Shefflin doesn't have much to say to the players, but he might have a little bit of tweaking to do within the team. But as you said, you called out a couple of names there, and there, there's many more there that can hurt you. And they have some quite good backs as well. So, uh, by no means you'll be writing them off, Luke, no. Yeah, you definitely wouldn't. And uh, just mentioning a couple more of those names, you've Brian Concanon who got that goal, that great goal against Limerick to blow the game wide open last year. You have uh, Connor Whelan, I mentioned Kevin Cooney in there. 
Road McInerney, Jack Grealish in the in the full back line, Darren Morrissey as well. As Jim Bob says, uh, maybe there'll be a bit of rejigging in that full back line, or maybe Henry will just tell them get their act together and go with the with the same team. From Limerick's team's point of view, Jim Bob, we record this podcast on a on a Thursday. It comes out just as the Limerick team comes out, which is not ideal, but. In my mind, I think Dan Morrissey's going to go to centre-back. I think that you're going to see Richie English moving back into the full-back line. I think that just... I suppose you, you don't rejig things too much then if, if you're working it that way. Some people saying Kyle Hayes in at centre-back, you keep Dan Morrissey in the full-back line because obviously Sean Finn is down injured. Um, look, I think whatever team is named, we saw David Reedy and we saw Graham Mulcahy come in as late changes anyway. We probably won't know the team until the, until the ball is thrown in anyway. Yeah, we even uh, we've even heard a couple of rumours during the week um, that David Reedy was going centre back, and look, we we heard all kinds of things. Gr- and Grod Hegarty and, and everyone sure. Yeah. William O'Donoghue. I think we're actually going to go out with twelve centre backs at the moment. But uh, no, look, um, yeah, look, it's a massive talking point. And again, you're on about the focus that we're not talking about Galway. We're only talking about maybe how poor Tipperary were and the Galway only being by two points. I think our actual real focus is who's Limerick centre back. Do do more talk about who's going to be centre back rather than Galway or the Limerick team or how we're performing. The talk is nearly who's going to be centre back. But um, no, as the couple of weeks have went on, look, I'd have been exactly on your way of thinking. I can see why you're thinking Dan Morrissey into centre back because he's played there. He's very good in the air. He kind of holds a position. He's solid. Um, can read the game there as well all them kind of things but um, the more kind of goes on you'll be listening to different opinions and that um, I probably do agree with the opinion that uh, how many times can you upset the full back line this year like in, in the first game or two the lads were only starting to get to know each other I don't know much about playing the full back line but I do know that there's certain telepathies there certain um, body language communications all that kind of thing I know it is vitally important in the full back line more than any other and even the communication the connection you have with the goalie just to keep that shape formation one man up for the ball because if you make a mistake there it can effectively be a goal and and we even saw that in the first maybe round one and round two of the Munster Championship that our full back line did look a bit shaky as in they were a little bit out of position obviously missing Sean Finn three lads wouldn't have played together that much And but then to give them massive credit in every match since they've been very solid there so the point I'm making is do we take Dan out of there obviously it's a straight switch put Mike Casey in there and then Richie English but it's just is it too late in the year to be upsetting your full back line again um, like Galway have a reasonably newish or kind of a new formation Grove McInerney wouldn't have played full back that many times and they looked very shaky the other day against Tipperary my god the goal John McGrath got if you're under 12 full back line wrote that you'll be saying lads you need to stay back a bit so upsetting the full back line so the more kind of goes on I, I we've been led to believe that Keane Lynch is back training been led to believe that he's actually going quite well you'd hear the rumours going around the place so if he's actually going to start and if I, if me and you are the Limerick management team, well, the first thing I'd be saying is, how can we have the best team out, obviously, with the most little change, keep the team settled? So I think if they can, obviously, if you want the best team and you have to change four or five fellas and that, that fair enough, you have to do that. But if there's a solution to change up the team with, with the least amount of tactical change in the whole, like, just say, just say right, on a wild card, if they did put Gerard Hegarty centre-back, Right, I don't think Rod Higgins have one problem playing centre back. I actually think he'd be quite good there. He's athletic. He's played there before. All Ireland under twenty one winner at wing back, very good. They only moved up into the forwards because we nearly needed forwards at the time. Right, but then you're he, you're putting him into a position that he probably hasn't played in in years. Doesn't really know the role. I don't even think he plays that for the club. Does he play midfield centre forward? I don't know. I, I I'm not hundred percent. But and 
it just upsets your half forward line. It changes your tactics a bit as in you're putting somebody into Groot Hegarty's position then like a colony or something that mightn't be that useful. It mightn't be that used to Croft Park or playing that level or not on a semi-final. So the point I'm trying to make is in my opinion thinking about this uh, a bit of time and it's only my opinion um, is that maybe if they if Keen Lynch is going to start uh, out of nowhere and this is only a wild card thing that maybe he plays midfield uh, and maybe they just slip back probably one of the midfielders and it'll probably be Dara Donovan because he plays there for doing he'd be grand and like it's amazing Dean as well that we all automatically think maybe it's a psychological thing or but the whole talk around the county or even the country maybe I don't know how well it's talked about outside the county is who's most like Declan Hannon who can hurl but like you don't automatically need somebody who's like Declan Hannon like we so like and I don't think I think the management that maybe came to that conclusion that you you can't just go like for like it, it, it needs to be who's best man for the job or as I said already who settles and, and best who uh, best fits the bill like so um, yeah look and again another option as well like we're not saying that that is another option as well was we saw there um, in the few games that Declan Hannon did go off they automatically brought Colin Cochran seems to be the man to come on for the half back line and they just slipped Kyle Kyle seems to be in the man to slip in now Dermot Burns played centre back for Patrick well and is <laughs> quite well able to play centre back as well so um, look there, there, there's many many permutations or they've, they've a lot of cards at their disposal but I think they're going to go with um, familiarity what settles the team best here and I w- if I was the manager I would be slow enough to upset that full back line again I think it's been very very um, delicate and a lot of chains have been made to that line all year if Dan Morrissey does go to, to centre-back, and I know you're saying you'd, you'd leave him in the full-back line, you, you think about the, the career he's had with Limerick in terms of playing wing-back, then going back into the full-back line because of injury, back to wing-back last season when Kyle Hayes went up to the to the forwards, back into the full-back line again. And look, I know there's there's kind of a perception that the players don't like that. They don't like being a utility player that can get moved around. They like to nail down their, their spot, but... You wouldn't know it with Dan Morrissey. He really is, uh, I suppose, a soldier to the cause, isn't he? You throw him in anywhere, he'll have a good a good game, he'll settle that line. And uh, I just don't think it's talked about enough how important he is to Limerick as that versatile man who can fill multiple roles. And I know a lot of them can, but it's Dan who seems to be moved around more than anyone else. Absolutely, Look, You could say this about a lot of uh, underdogs are great players and teams and never win anything. Um He'll only be properly talked about when he's gone. Um, like Dan won an All-Star. I could be wrong here, but I'm nearly certain that he won an All-Star wing back. Um, there was question marks. So like a year or two before that, oh, get him. I I know a lot of Limerick people saying get him off team, not this that. And my God, did he prove him wrong? He's unbelievable performance. I think he. I think his golden hour was the. Uh, Kilkenny um, quarter-final in Torless. I think he really came of age that day. He did many people, you could say, a lot of disguise against Kilkenny and he did it. And, and then when, they, when he went back to full-back, people were saying, oh, he can't read it there. It was all that kind of talk. And I'm like, I, I may wrong saying he won all-star full-back yeah. that year then as well. Like So he's an all-star one at wing-back and full-back. He'd have been a player that would have been written off by a lot of people. And like I think for any young kids or even any coaches or like I suppose everyone, we all get perceptions and we all make assumptions and we we can't be right with every presumption or assumption that we make of a player um, and Dan was a person who obviously worked hard himself at his, on, on the game he obviously had great self-belief but again I think no matter how much self-belief you have obviously that belief has to come from 
externally as well, whether it be a coach, whether it be players around you, whether it be a psychologist, whether it be a trainer, whatever it is. And as you said, Dan has proved everyone wrong. And unfortunately, he's been Mr. Consistent. And to give a fella, I, the reason I say unfortunately for him is when you are that consistent, you end up being a wing back. Oh, we'll put him into full back. No, he'll, he'll do a job back there. Um, like I'd say, I'd say he actually prefers playing out in the halfback line. Maybe he's got used to being full back, but he, he'd have always went for it. I've always came on. He'd have been played more at, in the halfback line. So, um, again, maybe that's the reason why we're saying he'd be the perfect fit for centre-back because he is a man to go into a role not knowing it very well and play very well there. But, um, yeah, as you say, you could say that about a, a lot of the Limerick players. Like, obviously, for some reason in sport, the scorers always get the credit. Um, actually, Aaron Glad's one of the few fans that doesn't get enough credit for what he does. But usually, the scorers get the credit, the forwards. Everybody wants to be the forward because they get the headlines all that. But I think that's why we're going for four Irelands in a row as well, Luke. There's a lot of fellas that are happy to know their job, do their job nice and quietly, get on about their business, analyse their own game, see where they can improve on. And uh, that, that's what makes winning teams when you've a multiple few of them on the team with that kind of a mindset. It's a sixth straight All-Ireland semi-final for Limerick, obviously, since since 2018. Lost one of them to Kilkenny back in 2019. So it's it's that same cohort of players. Obviously, we've seen the likes of Cahill O'Neill, Adam English come into the team, but it's been basically that central nucleus. And you mentioned the, the training that goes on, the commitment that you need. I was out at the uh, Limerick Ladies footballers game out in Newcastle West when they when they beat Sligo last weekend and Aaron Galan of course his um, partner is on is the captain of that team Roisin Ambrose so he was at the game and sure he was swarmed straight away outside the the venue signing autographs really pleasant and looked delighted to to, to say hi to all the Limerick fans and, and take selfies and all that but you forget that as well because even in day-to-day life around Limerick sure they can't walk from one end of the street to the other without being asked how are you going to go this weekend? What's going on behind the scenes? Like, how do you keep going back to the well if you're this Limerick team? And I know people always talk about about hunger, but there, there must be something really special in this group that, that they can keep it up because a lot of teams can put one All-Ireland, maybe two All-Irelands together, but for the same nucleus to have kept going, kept going, kept going, here we are on the cusp of hopefully another All-Ireland final. It's remarkable. Yeah, um... I've said it numerous times that there there isn't just one aspect or one thing that makes them go back to the well or or, or keep winning. It's it's made up of some of a lot of parts. Um, First thing is inside that dressing room, whether it's been created or not. Uh, I think some people have it naturally. I think some people become it, but there's an unbelievable winning mentality within that squad, both as a team, obviously, as a collective, but individually. Um, And that's what creates the, the... environment of training uh, the cutthroat nature of training where um, like there's players inside uh, as an example do John Kiley or Paul Canuck have to say much there's players inside in that dress room that are known as the best players in the country and there's another fella looking over and say you're not even the best player inside in this dress room so like when you have that kind of a mentality um, also then the fact that there's obviously things keeping them going motivationally and um, whether it be the sports psychologist or whether it be their own psychology where uh, we saw it with Kilkenny with years and years where like Limerick nationally were wrote off this year oh they're, they're after slipping back they're after and I think they're getting very good at using these things that um, like people might think we're being hip- hypocritical here but are saying oh they don't read social media to try and stuff out it but you can't avoid it with the phone we've talked about all this so obviously they've seen bits and pieces or headlines or something so they use the smallest little things I'm sure at this stage 
to motivate themselves. Um, and the other thing then, well, the other two things then as well is, like we've seen certain patterns on their jersey, maybe that means something. Um, certain things that maybe have happened players over the years, whether it be positive or negative, or maybe things that have happened within people's family, because the more you win, the more connected you come, and the closer you, you nearly become like a family. So then obviously a person's actual family things would affect other people, and they use that as motivation. And then the other thing is they've, they've obviously... I'd say it's well documented or, or, or they realise that um, they're they're in the presence of making history here. They're re- rewriting the script when it comes to Limerick GA or even National GA at this stage and uh, they know that there's going to be another team that's going to come that's going to be maybe more successful as they are and they're trying to raise the bar and I think that's what sport's all about. Um, like you have to remember you've got a collection of players that came within a year or two of each other on under-21 minor teams. Um, it's a free collection of players Kilkenny probably had the same kind of thing in the noughties where an unbelievable under-21 team walked and all our under-21 letter Tipperary and then they had one or two players either side and it just created a, just a juggernaut that couldn't be beaten and we have the same thing. And unfortunately, and this is way down the line, as you said, both mentally, psychologically and physically, fatigue will kick in and it's going to, like, all them teams can't keep lasting. But at the moment, um, and I think that's why when you get to All-Ireland semi-final territory, the longer they get in the championship, the harder they are to beat because they're galvanised and they're, they've been through all this, they've been through the mill and, and they know how to uh, go through games and they know they're familiar with Crow Park and they're familiar with the big days and then there's a whole psychology thing. But at the moment, Luke, it's not just one thing, it's a collection. And obviously then as well, you have a settled management team, a settled trainer, a settled psychologist this stage, settled stats team, settled nutritionist, whatever it be, and that all helps as well. Yeah, it definitely does. Well, from Limerick's point of view, obviously chasing that four in a row, the first one of those ended the 45-year wait with an All-Ireland final win over Galway back in 2018. Galway came into that year as champions. There was people saying that maybe they'd go on a similar run and put back-to-backs together and, and who knows after that, but it was Limerick who put the kibosh on that. Uh, here's Galway Bay commentator Sean Walsh and uh, he's been speaking about the game from a, a Galway perspective. He spoke to Joe Nash. Sean Walsh of Galway Bay FM is on the line. How are you, Sean? Morning, lads. That was a lovely way to bring on a Galway man. The last trip of that 18 commentary. But anyway. <laughs> Tell me, are Galway fans getting fed up of Limerick? Oh, not really. I think I think there would be a kindred spirit uh, in the sense that, I suppose, outside of the big three, lads, you know, the, the, the Cork and Kinney and Tips, uh, with due respect, both Galway and Limerick wouldn't be dining at the top table as often as they have. You're currently in a rich vein of form where... You know, to think that you're going for four All-Irelands in a row. I think John Kiley has been in charge of in 12 finals I read yesterday and hasn't lost one of them. Um, you know, you're in a rich vein of form at the minute and I think it's, it's a place to certainly enjoy. Um, but I think that, uh, I think what, what's in Galway towards Limerick would be admiration and fairness um, because we all know how difficult it is to win in All-Ireland, but to retain it and keep that level of consistency going over the last three to four years, um, I think... Mm. All hurling people would be in awe of what John Kyle and the Limerick team are achieving. Yeah, yeah. I, I have to say, no, I'm quite nervy about this from a Limerick perspective. I mean, the good news for John Kyle and the crew is I don't know the first thing about it, so that that <laughs> helps. But I still, I still have a bad feeling. Yeah, well, look, I suppose you're in Championship hurling, and I suppose um, what we saw yesterday, even in the football championship, I mean, it really starts now, doesn't it? And, and in terms of say Galway's year in particular, really starts. Uh, you know, last Saturday week in the in the Gaelic grounds when Galway played Tip in a, in a game you just had to win and and there's you know there's no back doors now there's no side doors it's it's 
the best horse jumps the fence. But I think, you know, looking at the bookie odds, I think Galway are ranked, I, I read five to one to win the All-Ireland, which obviously means that they're the fourth team in terms of the three, the other three that are remaining. So for Galway, I think the, the position is Henry Shefflin's second year. Um, Galway don't mind Van Limerick. Um, they certainly would have no fear factor. As you said, the last three games, as you alluded to there, you know, the 18 All-Ireland final, I think Galway would have huge arrests over the way that, that you know, the first 50 minutes of that game went. Uh, the 2020 uh, semi-final when Galway were managed by Limerick man, incidentally Shane O'Neill you know we were level on 70 minutes last year Canning in that game last year's semi-final I think David Reedy came on to play a huge part and get the three points against Galway but Galway were you know I think level I think going into 70 minutes there as well and we were 18 wides or whatever so you know I was interested yesterday even see Hawkeye was set down for the uh, football games yesterday you know it, it played a role in last year's All-Ireland semi-final so I think look at Galway while the want of a fear of Limerick will also be going in very realistically. Right. I mean, this Limerick team is, is, is has been phenomenal. Yeah, Sean Walsh there of Galway Bay FM um, talking about Galway's chances against Limerick uh, saying that Galway fans admire Limerick but surely they are slightly sick of the sight of that green jersey after the last couple of years 2018, 2020 and 2022. You're listening to the Sideline Cut podcast being broadcast here in the Live 95 studios. The Sideline Cut with Solar Choices Limerick making the energy needs of your home, business or farm more affordable visit solarchoices.ie Well I was mad to get the thoughts of our next guest Jerome O'Connell who abandoned all of his brothers in arms in the uh, local sports beat uh, not so long ago to take up uh, a cushy office job as news editor with the Limerick Leader. You're very welcome Jerome. Uh, thanks Luke I, I think yeah. <laughs> How are you finding life uh, away from the sports beat? Well I'm not missing you Luke but um <laughs> It's it's yeah. To be honest, it's a bit surreal. Um, you know, I was in the role for over two decades. Um, have never really, um, in my adult life, been kind of on this side of the fence as a supporter. But uh, enjoying it, yeah, definitely. I had one wish when I uh, took on this new role, and that was to you know finally see Limerick win an All Ireland as a supporter. And you know, touch wood, they're uh, they're keeping up their side of the bargain just about so far. Yeah, you were scrambling for Munster final tickets, though, Jerome. So I suppose I it's uh, it's it swings and roundabouts, isn't it? Yeah, it's a, it's a new venture for me. Unfortunately, uh, didn't have a season ticket. Obviously, they're all sold out in Limerick. So uh, yeah, one of those scrambling for tickets. No problem for the semi final, I may add, because uh, you know, um, just get this sense that there's a little bit of a lull in terms of uh, ticket sales. I'm not sure. I haven't seen anything released anywhere, but I just get that feeling that um, you know, it's not going to be an absolutely huge crowd. On, on Saturday or, or Sunday this weekend, which is, you know, a, a pity. And, you know, now looking in from the outside, you know, I kind of see the benefit of and and the lack of maybe a media day for any of the four teams from what I can see ahead of the Saturday semifinals and, or the weekend semifinals. I think that's something that has to be looked at. You know, you have to market your, your, um, your, your product. And, you know, I, I think it should be obligatory for all teams to do some sort of a media um, event ahead of big games. And I suppose, look, if they're not kind of called out for it, they're going to try and duck under the radar, Jerome, aren't they? Because it's probably the last thing they want to do. I know we talk about promoting the game, but from from 
their camp's point of view it's all about winning the game getting over the line and I suppose from the what you're saying about the ticket sales I think it was 52,000 at the the game last year that was a Sunday game as well the Clare game was on the Saturday I think that was something like 40,000 does that play a role as well does it all kind of mesh in that way and um, is it something to do with the way maybe Limerick have been going this year that they've been slightly stuttering even though they're Munster champions yeah I I suppose it all plays a role I mean look Saturday night uh, at six o'clock, you know, won't suit everyone. Um, certainly, trying to stay over in, in Dublin on the Saturday night certainly won't suit people with the the prices and the the availability of, of hotels and accommodation. Um, you obviously have the, the weekend of concerts in 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 Limerick with Dermot Kennedy as well. And look, it, it's it's holiday season now. Um, all these things play into it, but you know, I do think there is an onus on on the GA to 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 market what is their their product. Um, they've reduced the the season down in terms of intercounty, and I, I just think they, you know, they need to be they should be making hay while they can, and to have two All Ireland semi-finals, and I don't see very much uh, promotion from their side of things. I just think you know certainly could do better. Yeah, look, I'll agree with you on that point. I think Jim Bob wanted a word with you as well. Yeah, John, I suppose. Um how are you first of all and congratulations on your new appointment but uh, it's, it's great it's great that you're having a word with me now in all those years you're ducking and diving outside interviews <laughs> outside dressing rooms and things you were writing all the wrong things about me Jerome that's all that was <laughs> <laughs> no look I suppose I'm going to reminiscing more here Jerome I suppose like obviously and we often met you up there and we had a couple of COVID All-Irons above in Crow Park would it be for the All-Iron semi-final the All-Iron final but they were kind of surreal things really when you look back that there was only half the crowd there and, and one of them there was nobody there at all but I suppose going away from maybe Limerick the current Limerick team and that because obviously they're all maybe our, our biggest highlights and main highlights was was there any game back in the day like when you say you were at it for two decades that that would stand out or you would say that was some game to, to be at or to, to report on or whatever it would be is there is there any highlights I suppose over your, your long career as, as sports editor? Yeah I, I suppose like there's there's so many different um, kind of eras, you know, in it. Um, I, I suppose when I kind of came on the scene first, there was obviously the, the three in a row of, of the under-21 All-Ireland. And, like, to think back on it now, and it seems, you know, a long time ago, but there was absolutely some incredible games of hurling, um, evening games in particular in the Munster Championship back in that era, um, moving swiftly along. Then you, you had the, the, the Liam Kearns, um, you know, rest his soul, Limerick football era, which was, again... You know, to see Limerick football go toe-to-toe with so many counties was, you know, I really loved that at the time. It, it was just brilliant. Um, if there's a standout kind of maybe couple of games, I suppose the trilogy with Tipperary in, in 2007, aside from the, the last eight or nine years, that trilogy was just, I suppose, surreal. We were, we were starved of, you know, we're so used to winning right now, but think back to 2007, we were starved of Munster Championship um, success in, in terms of just winning games, never mind winning titles. And um, so that couple of weeks, you know, uh, Richie Bennis, the, the team, Gary Kirby, um, they, they were incredible games. You know, the, the swings and roundabouts of those couple of games were, was just was just brilliant. And you know, obviously went on that year to to contest an All Ireland final as well off the back of that great run. So that that year was was brilliant. And look, you've got the 2013 um, Munster final breakthrough, and you know. I mean, there, there was a lot of pain and a lot of anguish. And, you know, being a GA reporter in a local media in, in your own county, you know, can be difficult. And, you know, we were joking about meeting you outside dressing rooms and things. But, 
you're standing there outside the dressing room when, when Limerick are beaten and you know you're you're feeling the pain as much as the players and the managers really because you're you're a Limerick GA supporter at heart and but yet you have to do your job and there was a lot of barren years in it but you know thankfully a lot of good years as well and you know very very lucky then to 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 see out the last couple of years when you know it was just stuff of dreams really. Yeah, and, and and I suppose just like even what you what you are saying to me, I wouldn't go as far as to say I was avoiding you or anything like that, or, or current <laughs> players are. But like, as a player, like, I can only remember back from playing. Like you, it's nearly out of fear of of saying the wrong thing or things like that, yeah. especially pre match. Like it's, a, I don't think anybody has a problem. Like if I was avoiding you post match, we might have had an issue <laughs> here because because. But then again, like post match, there's another match on its way, and you're you're just That's afraid it, in yeah. case. And it's not even afraid of like a reporter asking you to. The, like you know, trying to catch you out or anything like that. It's it's just the fact of nearly fear of giving the other team ammunition about saying the wrong thing and things like that. And as you say, I, I think you're dead right on on the promotion of it. Um, even they're watching telly or, or, or media the whole lot. If Limerick weren't in the All Ireland semi final, you'd nearly forget they're coming up the weekend. So you definitely have a point there. But but then it opens up a a whole bigger thing on like like do players need to get more media trained or do you send out the same players and have a kind of a, a more structured um, thing on it because at the moment uh, I do agree with you that um, there's kind of nothing happening in terms of media and promoting the whole thing but yeah. um, like, like, I suppose that's the question Obviously it's, a, it's an amateur game but you know there are professional elements to the GA and, and look we, we have to look at I suppose the other sports that are out there and, and take learnings from them Um I, I do think, you know, a member of management, and it doesn't always have to be the manager as far as I'm concerned, a member of management and a member of the playing team should be available before and after um, all, all games, I think, you know. Um, and, and, and that's, you know, it could be done on a rotation basis. I don't really mind. I would prefer if it wasn't the same player the whole time. Obviously, captains can be put forward and things. But it, it's not really from him. You know, I, I'm now, I suppose, the last couple of months, seeing things from the other side of the fence as well. And, you know, you, you, you love to hear what's going on and, and um, hear from the players and hear from the management. And it promotes the game. You know, it puts them on the, the, the pages of the newspapers and on the websites and radios and TVs. And it, it's important to, to spread the game. And, you know, I think there's a learning there. Do, do players need to be, you know, advising it as well? You know, I, I've often wondered, we don't know the workings of the, of the GPA, but surely there's a role there for them in terms of, you know, learnings from social media and, and general media in, in general. Yeah, I, I just have one last question for you, John, on what we were saying there, because everything you said there is 100% correct, but, like, I would often think that people often got a, a perception of me from playing or whatever, and people are completely different outside of the game and outside of the sport. So, I suppose, over the years, was there anyone that you'd enjoy seeing coming to, to interviewers, there anyone you'd said, she's great getting an interview off him now, or a bit of a character, or over the years were you saying, is this fella playing a sport at all? Is he tuned in, or anything like that? Would there anybody to come to mind where you'd say, what just happened there, kind of a thing? I, I, the one thing I would be moan maybe the last couple of years is, um, you know, we used always have, and this isn't what I would have done, but what I would have read is we'd always have the big Sunday interview. You know, it was a, it was almost a thing to pick up one of the Sunday newspapers and see which player is interviewed ahead of this game. You know, a big 1,200, 1,500-word read, you know, um, that you knew had been done maybe two weeks beforehand. The, the opportunity now for anyone to sit down for a good 45 minutes with a player one-on-one, you know, those days are sadly gone. Like, And that's when you really got to know 
more about the player than just asking him, you know, how are you going to get on Sunday? What do you think of the opposition? What did the manager say at halftime? You know, to actually get to sit down with someone for a good hour over a coffee, um, the best of the sports writers used to do it on, on, on mostly on the Sunday newspapers or the Saturday supplements and they were an absolute great read and I, I think you really missed him from the, the sporting landscape at the moment. In terms of myself and who I loved, I mean, sure, you know, you, you get great sound bites from some people. I, I suppose we, we've probably been blessed in, in recent years in, in, in hurling, maybe in particular with, with some great captains and uh, I'm not talking about 2017 here now, but uh, Don Don Grady, you know, for me... <laughs> Sorry, Jim. <Bob. laughs> you wouldn't pay for the coffee. That's all I said. <laughs> but Don Grady was, you know, I, I always felt Dodge was was just such an ambassador for Limerick, and I, I always loved his story. You know, he was kind of a periphery of the under twenty ones when they make the breakthrough. Uh, wasn't playing with, you know, a top uh, senior club at the time. Kept plugging away played a couple of years of intermediate with Limerick, you know, when maybe some others would maybe turn their nose up at intermediate, played away for a few years and then, you know, got his break at senior level and, and took it and, you know, went on to be, you know, a, a, an absolute leader of a captain and, and now, you know, a, a selector with the senior team. Just, just was, Dodge was always one that, you know, I had a lot of respect for just his, his, his route to the top and, and the way he carried himself. I just felt he was a real ambassador for Limerick and, you know, if anything, maybe that's something that maybe John Kiley saw in Declan Hannandin as well when he went to to pick him as captain. You know, that was clearly an, an inspired choice as well. And Jerome, just back to the actual game on Saturday. You mentioned obviously Declan Hannon there. He won't be available through injury. We hope that Limerick get over the line and, and he can make it back for that All-Ireland final. But what have you made of, of Limerick's season so far? I'm sure it's been hard to to switch off from reporter mode, you're probably still taking your notes at all the games. Yeah, it's, it's been tricky, yeah, but, uh, you know, in fairness to the team, they, they haven't made it easy for, for the supporters anyway, that's for sure. Um, lovely new Google Watch here, and it's certainly, you can see the heart rate going up and down during uh, d- during matches because, you know, look, clearly, they, they haven't hit full tilt yet. Um, only time will tell if that's all part of the master plan. Um I think if you look back the last couple of years, you've always loved the, the the Monday morning interview with John Kiley after the All-Ireland final when he would finally open up about what their plan and their schedule for the year was. And he keeps using this phrase that every year is different. And I think what he means is, you know, Limerick's approach to every year is different. Clearly last year, they, they timed a really late run, you know, overlooking the league. This year was different. They kind of plodded their way through the league. And, and they plodded their way a little bit through the Munster Championship as well. And, you know, I suppose we're only going to find out on Saturday if they're going to hit Croke Park, you know, in in, in full tilt. Um, I hope they do because, you know, I, I think they'll need to find a couple of percent on, on their Munster Championship performance to win and especially without Sean Finn and Declan Hannan and, you know, with the two of those in particular, I think it's sometimes you don't know how good you have it until they're gone, like, um, because they're, you know, two massive parts of, of that Limerick defence and I think to... To win without the two of those um, would would make this quite a victory. Yeah, we heard from Sean Walsh from Galway Bay just before you came on, Jerome. And look, we we look at it as Galway are now intertwined in, in Limerick's recent hurling history and a glorious history it is, I suppose, starting with that National League win, the comeback win in Salt Hill in 2018 to gain promotion. 
you had the final obviously to end the 45 year wait then 2020 the Covid year and getting over the line in the semi and going on to win 22 as well the same story going on and setting up a, a final against Brian Cody's Kilkenny in his final year so from our side it's it's great history from Galway's side it, it's not obviously coming in in 2018 as All-Ireland champions so like they're they're like a side in the long grass you think and that surely will be fueling them the the players anyway who are left over from that 2017-2018 era yeah of course they will and you know you can think of a couple of um alliance league games as well between the two sides where you know it's it's been hot and heavy at times both above in salt hill and in uh and in limerick uh and there's never been much between them you know i mean we've been coming out the right side of these championship games but you know, we're not blowing them out of the water by any means. Um, I, I think there might be just a little something different about Galway this year. Um, I also think that Henry Shefflin has set him up with Limerick in mind. Um, you know, the, the way Cahill Mannion is now retreating back in, into the half-back line, you know, can, if it works right, um, cut off the, the, the ball to our, uh, full forward, um, to our full forward line. The, the form, obviously, of Conor Whelan is massive, especially given that we're going to have a new-look full-back line ourselves. Um, I just feel that he, he's setting him up, you know, to, with, with those in mind. Um, and, you know, they'd be Tipperary, but Tipperary, you know, I thought were under par on the day. God, we probably struggled over him a little bit. But, you know, quarterfinals and semifinals are largely for winning. You know, you, you won't remember that you played brilliantly and lost. It's just about getting over the line. And that's what Galway did in the quarterfinal. And I've no doubt, just like everyone else, Limerick have been in their sights for a long time. But, you know, we just have to trust that Limerick have had their couple of weeks after the Munster Championship. They had their break. They were down in Killarney for a weekend. They know the routine by now. And, you know, they haven't underperformed in Croke Park. Uh, bar that you know, opening half in 2019 against Kilkenny. But since then, they've turned up in Croke Park and we just have to trust that, you know, Paul Kinnerk, Caroline Curd, John Kiley and the rest of the guys will, will have them in a fine fettle on Saturday evening. Yep, many thanks um, to Jerome O'Connell for joining us. One of my favourite stories covering games with Jerome O'Connell was the 2020 All-Ireland semi-final and we were all waiting around and obviously it was just journalists in the stadium because there was no fans allowed and... We interviewed John Kiley, who was obviously delighted to get through to to the final. Then Shane O'Neill, obviously a Limerick man, came along. The Galway manager, after losing a game, putting it all in throughout the season. And uh, at the end of it, Jerome pipes up and said, Shane, is it too early to be a Limerick fan again? (laughs) (laughs) Shane O'Neill, I'd say, could have cried uh, when Jerome asked him that. But I always bring that up with Jerome. But uh, what a sports uh, journalist was Jerome O'Connell and uh, doing a great job with the Limerick Leader news team at the moment. Jim Bob, we must chat about um, the game and, and matters on the field because we probably haven't touched too much on it throughout the pod. We've been talking about different things, but look, I suppose it, it's an even matchup. We've seen that over the last number of years. You probably look at, at Aaron Gillan at the moment as the standout Limerick performer. Gerard Hegarty, you really, he, he did play well in, in the Munster final. You have to give him that. But the performances that he can put in in Croke Park and that we've seen him put in in Croke Park, if he came up with one of those performances, we'd be flying it, wouldn't we? Yeah, um, I suppose, yeah, we start with Grod, Grod Higgy or, or many of the, the Limerick players. Uh, there's a lot of players, if not all the team, are actually players for the big game. 
the big day I think the before playing the big days whereas um, like you know all this talk about a team going into their shell whether it be physically psychologically whatever it is going into their shell maybe being a little bit titchy I think Limerick are the complete opposite and I think uh, Garoad um, it's very rare the man has a bad final um, it's not like he's been bad in semi-finals or anything but just the bigger the game the bigger the occasion the better the, the man nearly plays or even you could even transfer that out to the whole team um, like you said a very interesting t- thing there about like both teams being e- evenly matched and I suppose if we break that down and what does that mean like even like I even wrote down there after the Clare game like Clare don't have a long range free taker you're talking about um, maybe taking Dan Morrissey for, for granted I think we completely take Dermot Burns's ability and range and accuracy of long frees just totally for granted like if the man goes out to a 70, 80, 90 metre free we just it's an expectation and a given that he's going to put it over so um, evenly matched we saw Ivan Nyland a couple of years ago I think it was that COVID alarm there was no one there he only came on in, in the last 10 minutes Obviously, he was very young that time, and he put over two or three downtowners a freeze. Um, now he wasn't as accurate with him the last day, but again, they have a long range free taker that is well capable of putting the ball over the bar. Uh, we have Aaron Galan, probably our star forward at the moment. They have Whelan at the other side. They have Cahill Mannion going very well in midfield. They're playing to a bit of a system where players are filtering back the very same as Limerick. Um, <coughs> Jerome said it there that he thinks Henry Shefflin is setting up for Limerick, and I think a lot of teams have maybe falling guilty of that they're looking like too far down the line where they're, they're setting up for Limerick and they're out of the championship and they never got to meet Limerick but if that is true Galway and they do look like they've got a system in play this year uh, which mightn't suit the way Limerick play um, both teams to me seem to be playing a lot more direct they seem to be hitting their full forward line more why wouldn't you when you've Aaron Galan at one side inside there and Conor Whelan inside um, the fact that Sean Finn was picking up Conor Whelan over the years and, and in there this year is going to be interesting as well Conor Whelan's averaging one, one, whatever, three, four, five, six points from play a game. He's setting up a lot of scores. So, yeah, both teams are very evenly matched. They've got good players all around the field and that's what probably makes the game uh, so interesting. Um, again, I think the fact we have to give Galway a bit of credit here. We're, we're on about winning mentality and, and never say die and, and that aura about them. Uh, I know it's going in as a managerial point of view, but who... Who else in the country would have that straight away? You're going to think of Henry Shefflin. He's already been an All Ireland winning uh, club captain or club manager with with Belly Hay. Obviously, he's captain Kilkenny. He's captain his club to All Ireland. He doesn't know what losing is, and if he can bring a small bit of that mentality and maybe that what I mean by that mentality is even that body language. Come Saturday, he's not going to fear. Maybe he might be in a different mindset being a, a manager of an county team, but I don't think he's going to. Um, in terms of language to the team, in terms of body language to the team, in terms of the whole psychology of getting team ready, he's not going to shy away from an All-Ireland semi-final in Crow Park. He's going to have them ready and say, lads, this is what we're here for. This is where, where I wanted to be kind of a talk. So um, so both teams have strong personalities and strong will to wins, competitive nature on both sides. So as you say, evenly matched, that's what we mean by that. And I suppose, yeah, you look at the, the Declan missing, Sean Finn missing, you look at that full back line and, and you were saying about you don't want to disrupt it even further. They've done so well this season in terms of scores conceded. I think they've conceded nearly the least amount of scores that they have throughout the num- last number of seasons at least. 
So you look at the defensive side of things and, and some of, of I suppose, the, the threats for, for Galway. We know all about Connor Whelan. That is going to be interesting to who's going to pick him up. Brian Concanon got that goal uh, last year. You look onto the, the bench from the, the game against Tipperary as well. You have Connor Cooney there who had a great game um, last season. And, and you mentioned Cahill Mannion as well uh, in that deeper role. Evan Nyland, Tom Monaghan. I mean, they do have firepower Galway, but... I think Limerick well able to to handle it, and they ha- they're well able to adapt. Yeah, um, I suppose your first point is about um, the fact we're missing Sean Finn and we still concede the least amount of scores, and that like that all comes down to the talk that we have a strong panel. Um, like again, to talk about Clare, there the fact that they had Keen Nolan on the last day and very slow to take him off Aaron Galland, the fact that they put him on Aaron Galland, the fact that they had Fitzgerald there last year in Dollar in the semi final. Like they're nearly struggling to find maybe a, a back or two to have Paul Flanagan to maybe I don't know they don't have much faith in him or to bring him on Shane Moore. But um, to be fair, we've Mike Casey. We're bringing in an all-star full back. Obviously came back from injury. Like look at the caliber of player we're able to to slot in. So it's not the fact that we don't have a strong panel and we don't be giving out about the fellas we're putting on. We're just saying Sean Finn, given his consistency over the years, what a massive loss he is. But then you talk about Galway's forwards, and I think Galway in general. Galway are a very dangerous opponent because even if Galway played terrible in their last eight games and this is their ninth game, you just don't know what you're going to get with Galway. They're they're very hit and miss. Even the players themselves, I've heard the likes of Joe Canning and players over the years, maybe David Burke and that speak and they talk about their inconsistency that they can win all these All-Ireland minors, 20s and then take them so long to get it all together. But by God, when they do get it together, um, like they, they've, they've game winners. Um, like Conor Cooney there could come on and he could be poor for three for that. He could come on and just score one tenure there. Why isn't this man on if if he's tuned in? So I think if Galway do come tuned in, um, and I do think that Henry Shefflin looks for a type of player. Obviously, um, you want him to be at intercounty level skill wise and all that kind of work. But if you look at Joseph Cooney there, very good player, young lad, playing side full forward. His first year probably consistently on the team. I think his first year on the panel. I don't know, but he is working so hard inside there. He's like an extra back. And if you go back to uh, watching Ballyhay a couple of years ago, even go back to Kilkenny in the in the noughties, it was work rate came first over everything else, over skill, talent, ability, mentality, anything. It was work rate, work rate, work rate. And if he, I think he is trying to instill that into the team. And if they can come with that kind of a mentality on Saturday, and I suppose all they're trying to do is level up to Limerick's work rate, which they do very well. We nearly take it as a as a given now. Um, then you're you're in for one hell of a match. But as you said, uh, Evan Nyland. Needs to switch it on a bit, but again, could be a game winner. Tom Monaghan is a fellow you have to watch. He he can consistently score three, four points from play. He kind of runs off the shoulder a bit, a bit like of a a lesser version. And what I mean by lesser version, he's probably not as dangerous at the moment as uh, Tony Kelly, but plays the similar role out of nowhere. He could just have three, four points from play got. And uh, as I say, Cahill Mannion, you're on about him slipping back into the the half back line. I think a lot of that is more obviously it's from a defensive point of view, as Jerome said, cut out lines and that. But also when Cahill Mannion gets the the ball 90 or 100 yards out he's as good a striker as Dermot Burns he can hit some downtown so he's a threat from that kind of range as well and we need to go back and that All-Ireland semi-final the Covid one Carl Mannion had to go off and he was after scoring 3-4 points play he was, he was going well with a hamstring injury of 60 minutes ago and that was a massive help to, to Limerick so look I think when you see the likes of Conor Coney not playing um, only coming on as a sub and, and whoever else it's always a good sign of things going to training for Galway as well and do you stick with that direct style if you're Limerick and 
maybe half abandoned the work in it between the lines that we've seen over the last number of years. I mean, the last two games against Clare and, and Cork, we certainly got change out of that. Do you, do you stick with that or is that what Henry Shefflin is expecting? So you, do you switch it up slightly? Yeah, I, th- I think actually Limerick are, I'm, I'm only presuming this, but it, going by the way they play, um, like stats teams now are analysing everything. They're trying to find a weakness in any other team. They're trying to find like some of the stats teams around the country are even seeing where does the ball be placed most, where are their puck outs going. They're doing percentage, crazy stuff. And obviously some of it works, obviously some doesn't. But I think Limerick are hard to figure out. They've gone more direct well we're presuming this we don't have stats in front of us but going from what we see they're going more direct in their last couple of games but they're not going totally direct where it becomes obvious where they're gone one dimensional and the team can filter back so like even there in the Munster final against Clare um, they went very direct for periods of the game um, but if Iron Glenn wasn't isolated inside one one Nolan or there wasn't clear space to hit the ball into um, they were playing it across the field they came out in that third quarter and they played an awful lot of ball across the half back line over to Kyle Hayes obviously to give him a couple of gallops up the field which isn't a bad option either so um, and even as I say going back to that semi-final the Covid semi-final against Galway they, they came out in that third quarter again and played just with a wide half back line and kept playing the ball across the field because they played with a sweeper so Limerick are very hard to figure out and not only are they hard to figure out they're very and this is the hardest thing in the world to do I'd say professionally or with a with an inter-county hurling or football team is to be adaptable Um not maybe like not at professional level but the Limerick team are very good at adapting to the situation at present so we can all talk in hindsight and we probably all do it as analysts and the whole oh um, like Claire should have probably took Nolan after this and like seeing we can all see a thing after the whole thing's finished but at the present, in the moment, Limerick are very good at maybe seeing something or getting that communication and word around to play the ball across the field in your half-back line midfield, shoot from range because it's all cluttered up and back or play direct. So that's why your team can be very dangerous. If they're able to do it at present rather than going in and have time talking about it, well, then they're a dangerous team. Before we move on and just briefly talk about the Clare Kilkenny semi-final as well, is there anything else that, that stands out to you that Limerick will target to get over the line in this one? Uh, sure look we've, we've talked about it already um, like Evan Nyland like the last day even if we look at Tipperary he only got a point from play Tom Manning came up late in the game nearly when the game was over now they were important scores time but he only got three points so look what I'm trying to say is Conor Whelan got 1-4 from play and set up an awful lot of scores if we can curtail him and curtail Carl Mannion they're your two matchups to me um I, I think Galway, as I said already, have a couple of question marks, like who's going to go on Galen? Uh, like at the moment, you're looking like uh, Grove McInerney, who seems to be definitely lacking that bit of pace. And you look at Aaron Galan's pace and how good he is at making space and getting out in front. So uh, the matchups are going to be very interesting. Does he put Jack Grealish or somebody like that on Aaron Galan? Um, the win of the game, like who's going to pick up Carl Mannion? Um, if he floats around, uh, goes back, kind of plays kind of a sweeper role or, or plays as a quarterback do the Limerick midfield pick him up or do they, they let him roam around and drift because as I say it's very few players in the country very few players that ever played the game that could even score 3-4 points from play out around the middle of the field and he's, he is that good a striker and that accurate um, again Parag Mannion is a player who gets on an awful lot of ball can, can one of the boys keep him busy and active around the half back line um, no but there's nothing really that that's kind of points out as that's going to be the win of the game only maybe uh, Curtail and Conor Whelan you'll go a long way about it but that's kind of the, the obvious statement there's no unbelievable analysis I think the biggest talking point is uh, where Dahi Buck's going to play I thought he was quite good at centre back the last day but do they need to is he going to be the sacrificial lamb and go back into that full back line to, to solidify it it's going to be interesting because 
the one line you want going well against Limerick is your full back line. Yeah, it certainly is. And uh, as we say, this this pod is recorded before the team news, but will be uh, out just as the team news is out. But uh, we don't often believe the, the team sheets until we actually see who's lining out on the day. So who knows? Uh, Jim Bob, the second semi-final then on the Sunday. Let's hope that we're kicking up the feet and looking forward to... A, a, a fourth All-Ireland final in a row and just uh, trying to find out who the opposition are it's it's clear obviously coming up against Kilkenny and Kilkenny gave him a, a bit of a spanking last year and, and caught him off guard beat him by, by 12 points it looked like Clare probably gassed out after that Munster Championship uh, final loss to, to Limerick what way do you see this one going? Yeah I think it's actually gassed the fact you even said that that uh, Galway beat him by 12 points last year and Maybe I'm wrong here or maybe I'm talking to the wrong people which I probably are around the county but look, Kilkenny are, are amazing but everybody seems to have Galway and Kilkenny wrote off. I think um, we've been wrote off all year actually to be honest. We've dismissed the Leinster Championship. We've uh, we've made, uh, made it out to be a B Championship compared to the Munster Championship. This is kind of the talk going around. Um, no, a lot of that isn't Kilkenny and Galway's fault. It's just I suppose general spectators feel the other teams in it wouldn't be as high quality as the Munster teams but like to be fair, there's no talk on about Kilkenny, um, even this pod or anything you listen to on social media. But like Kilkenny are an amazing count. They seem to be able to go in under the radar, whether they're going for three, four. Aren't. The only time I ever saw Kilkenny getting hyped out was for the five in a row. Uh, the media, the hype, everything just seemed to get them that day. But apart from that, uh, Kilkenny are just Kilkenny and they seem to just float around the place and nobody seems to talk about them. So um, I suppose the talk is that Clare are going to win. Uh, it's going to be a Limerick, uh, Clare All Ireland, but we know well that All Ireland semi finals don't really go to plan. Um, Tipperary were meant to beat Galway, and that didn't go to plan at all. Um, like uh, Sean Walsh saying there that Galway were five five to one to win the All Ireland in a, in a four horse race, and they're clearly fourth. It's very very interesting. Um, now look, the bookies don't be too wrong at times, but that's massive odds to be given a a team of that caliber. But um, the Clare-Kilkenny game as a whole, um, I, I don't think it's going to be 12 points by any means. I think Clare have a lot of motivation. I, I keep saying this, there's no better place to be in the world as in a position to right or wrong. Uh, Clare would have been very disappointed with the way the Kilkenny All-Ireland semi-final went last year. Um, not the fact that Kilkenny beat them by 12 points, I keep saying the fact that they totally underperformed. I think Clare are in a good place this year in terms of their psychology in terms of their shape their structure I think there's more self-belief and more belief within the squad I think they believe in the management and they've they've just got a good bit of kind of energy around that squad you can kind of sense it coming out through the telly or at the matches there at times but again they're taking on Kilkenny who um, are in a totally different position even though they they only won the game by a point against Galway they're the team that should have lost Um, they kind of hit a couple of purple patches but they went, I don't know, was it five or six points up against Galway in the second? But that yeah. it was worrying that Galway came back and obviously should have won the game, the last minute goal by Killian Buckley. But um, again, that's that's brilliant to be coming into an All Ireland semi final saying, lads, we need to open it here. We should have lost the Lince to the final. And they'll know that full well. Again, Kilkenny probably have a little bit more danger at their disposal than, than Clare in terms of their scoring ability. They have a lot of scoring forwards. Clare rely a lot on Tony Kelly at times. Um, Kilkenny have an unbelievable free taker and a long range free taker. I think Clare need to go away and find a long range free taker. I think it actually cost them a month's the final this year if they had a long range because they missed an awful lot of chances that I know it's crazy to say, but in today's game they're probably scoreable frees. Um again, Clare the last day against Dublin, they made a couple of defensive changes that maybe have helped their defence, but again, were Dublin much of a test 
um, was Keane Nolan uh, hard done by because I think Keane Nolan would have done fine against Dublin the last day and he probably would have given him a bit of confidence but um, look I think it's going to be a close game um, who's going to win it I, I don't know uh, I don't know because I don't know where Dublin were at the last day for Clare to get back up in the horse and I still don't know what kind of baggage Clare are bringing to the All-Ireland uh, series again after losing another Munster final did they put all their momentum all the focus on Limerick and will they just kind of gas out uh, I don't think that's going to happen but uh, I still I'm probably one I'm to be very scared of Kilkenny in terms of I'm not going to write him off and I think that they could ground out a one or two point win and I think we could see a similar alarm to last year yeah, I'd be nearly leaning in the same direction as you, Jim Bob. Well, that's where time has beaten us here on the Sideline Cut podcast, sponsored by Solar Choices of Limerick. We'll see you all up in Croke Park. Hopefully we come away with the win and uh, have one more podcast to go ahead of the All-Ireland final as Limerick continue to chase the four in a row. We'll talk to you again. The Sideline Cut podcast, sponsored by Solar Choices of Limerick, making the energy requirements for your home, business or farm more affordable. Visit solarchoices.ie